the volume. With your Amex card, entertainment benefits like special ticket access and pre-sales to select can't-miss events while supplies last, make every tap music to your ears. It's Freddie Prinze Jr. and Jeff Dye back in the ring. Wrestling with Freddie makes its triumphant return for an electrifying fourth season. Hey, Jeff, are you ready to rumble our way into an all-new season of Wrestling with Freddie? You better believe I have. I've been practicing my body slams, and I'm jacked. All right, don't go injuring yourself now. We'll be highlighting the best stories and matches of the week in wrestling from AEW, WWE, and have one-on-one talks with the best talents in the world of pro wrestling. Listen to Wrestling with Freddie on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. The Big Take from Bloomberg News brings you what's shaping the world's economies with the smartest and best-informed business reporters around the world. We cover the stories behind what's moving money in markets and help you understand what's happening, what it means, and why it matters every afternoon. I'm Sarah Holder. I'm Saleya Mosin. And I'm David Gura. Listen to The Big Take on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Imagine you ask two people the same seven questions. I'm Mini Driver, and this was the idea I set out to explore in my podcast, Mini Questions. This year, we bring a whole new group of guests to answer the same seven questions, including Courtney Cox, Rob Delaney, Liz Fair, and many, many more. Join me on season three of Mini Questions on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your favorite podcasts. Seven questions, limitless answers. The Colin Coward Podcast presented by FanDuel Sportsbook. No better place to make every moment more than with FanDuel. Basketball, football, they have awesome new and existing user promotions. It's easy to use. It's safe and secure. You can get your winnings back in two hours. My favorite, the same game parlays. You can bet five or ten bucks in one 150 bucks or more. If you are new, just download the FanDuel Sportsbook app. Get started now. Sign up promo code Colin so they know we and I sent you. The Colin Coward Podcast presented by the FanDuel Sportsbook. Hi, everybody. Welcome in Wednesday morning podcast. Before I get to Greg Olson, the former Seahawk Fox broadcaster, uh, let's let's talk some Seattle Seahawks losing Russell Wilson to the Denver Broncos. Ownership matters. Paul Allen passed away not long ago. He loved the Seahawks and loved the NBA and the Portland Trailblazers under Paul Allen's ownership were a viable playoff contender, got to a Western Conference Finals. The Seahawks got to a couple Super Bowls and were always a playoff team. He passes. His sister Jody Allen takes over ownership. She does not love sports. And in one year, the Seahawks get fleeced by the Broncos, finish in fourth, and the Blazers are essentially starting over. Ownership matters. Jody Allen allowed Pete Carroll, a 70-year-old defensive coach, to get too much juice, too much control of the Seahawks, and they are paying a price. You start looking around at these defensive coaches, Vic Fangio, Mike Zimmer, Pete Carroll, Ron Rivera. They don't see what's happening. They don't understand the importance of O-line play, elite offensive 
coordinators, quarterbacks. Pete Carroll is the one that eventually signed off on this, not John Snyder. Okay, Russell Wilson wanted out, and Pete Carroll, who views himself very highly, fired twice before Russell Wilson, losing record in Seattle before Russell Wilson, signed off on this. And they get a couple of firsts, a couple of seconds, some decent players. Shelby Harris, nice defensive lineman, not elite, no offense, very nice tight end. Case of the drops, but a nice tight end. But Seattle has shown no indications over the last six to seven years of being able to draft well. In fact, there's an argument to be made that Seattle drafts as poorly as anybody in the NFL in the last half decade. Go look at their drafts. Forget landing stars. They have struggled to land starters with their first-round picks. This is an organization that lost a great owner, gave too much power to a coach. Pete Carroll is running the show, signed off on the trade, and I talked to a pair of NFL general managers today, one in the AFC and one in the NFC. Both said about the same thing. I thought Seattle would get more. So did I. If Seattle gets a third first-round pick and a quarterback who is at minimum a bridge starter for a couple years, maybe we feel differently. Drew Locke is not only not a franchise quarterback, he's not a bridge quarterback. He is inaccurate, cocky, has a much greater opinion of himself than people around the league. Denver has no problem letting go of strong-armed Drew Locke. This was a slam dunk for the Broncos. The best quarterback won every division last year. Every division. You can give up a lot of interior defensive linemen and nice tight ends and first and second round picks. You give up a Hall of Fame quarterback. Russell Wilson's been in this league 10 years, nine playoffs in the toughest division in football. I'm not even sure what equal value is. It is not Drew Locke, a tight end, an interior defensive lineman, and four picks. To a franchise in Seattle, which has drafted so poorly, you have to go back to 2015, seven years ago, to find the last draft where they got two really good starters, Frank Clark and Tyler Lockett. You have to go back to 2012, 10 years to find the last time they got two stars in a draft. Bobby Wagner, Russell Wilson. And they just let Russell Wilson go. Here's something else that's not being discussed. The Denver Broncos are for sale. Russell Wilson signing with Denver inarguably, this is something another general manager told me today, Russell Wilson drives the price of the Broncos up $300 million. This is what LeBron did in Cleveland. This is what Justin Herbert's done to the Chargers. They're simply more valuable, not only going from San Diego to the LA market, but from Phillip Rivers to Justin Herbert drives the price up. That's why the Spanos family can move closer to LA and build a massive practice facility, spend that kind of money. That's what SoFi's done. That's what the LA market's done. That's what Justin Herbert's done. Russell Wilson massively drives up the value of the Denver Broncos. Now, many people would say, oh, wow, look, look, this is a very tough division. 
what did he just leave? He just left the toughest division in the NFL, one in which he mostly dominated it for the previous seven or eight, nine years. Let's talk Aaron Rodgers for a second, because I believe people tell you what matters to them with their choices. So Russell Wilson told you it was about winning championships. He simply didn't trust a defensive coach and a team that couldn't draft consistently. To him, he was willing to go into a very tough division and a new conference because he feels and his agent feels the GM's better in Denver, the O-line's better in Denver, the weapons are better in Denver, and the defense is much better. He'll take on Mahomes, Herbert, and Derek Carr. Russell's about winning. Aaron Rodgers, knowing he doesn't have an owner, knowing he doesn't have a second wide receiver he can trust, we saw that in the playoff game against the 49ers, Aaron Rodgers wanted the money. Aaron Rodgers is probably now the highest paid player in the NFL. That's fine. I'm okay with it. But Aaron Rodgers told you what mattered. He could have gone to Pittsburgh with a better defense. He could have gone to Denver with better weapons or Tennessee. Aaron told you, I want comfort and I want money. And it should be noted, it's an easier division. I'm not saying it's a bad move, but Green Bay will never, ever, ever be a top free agent destination. It will never be a top destination for players. Don't kid yourself. OBJ, Von Miller, happy to go to LA. Matt Stafford chose LA. It matters. It absolutely matters. Green Bay will never be that space. So Aaron Rodgers has been passive aggressive in the last several years criticizing Green Bay. They don't sign this guy. They don't sign that guy. Nothing changes. They don't have an owner. They're not a top free agent market. Aaron was about the money. Russell was about competing against the best with better weapons, with a chance to win a championship. Brady told you that for years. I don't want to hear about his supermodel wife. Brady told you for years. It's about winning. I'll take less. I want to go to a place I can win more. Choices tell me what you care about. I do want to briefly talk about the situation with Russell Westbrook and the Lakers. Uh, Westbrook was very critical of people who make fun of him and call him Russell Westbrook. And um, listen, there's nothing he can do about that. If fans want to do it, if media wants to do it, there's nothing you can do about it, right? But Westbrook said it's now wearing on his family. And I have sympathy for him there. And I, I don't like fans who are aggressive name-calling inside of arenas. What somebody does on social media, what the media does, you can't control. You don't see fans picking on Justin Herbert or Lamar Jackson, Patrick Mahomes, Russell Wilson. They don't agitate. They don't attack the media. They take responsibility. They fall on the sword. They don't always have to be snarky and win the press conference. But it should be noted with Russell Westbrook. For eight to 10 years in Oklahoma City, he agitated the media at every turn. Nightly press conferences were defensive and rigid, and he agitated and attacked the media that often asked legitimate questions. So when Russell was at the height of his powers, he couldn't get along with teammates like Kevin Durant. He couldn't get along with the media. And now Russell's no longer at the height of his powers, and he doesn't like that the tables of leverage have turned. 
and the fans have a little power, and the media has a little power. If you look at athletes in America who are picked on, Baker Mayfield, Russell Westbrook, you think they are culpable at all? Hasn't Baker Mayfield often been an agitator, not a lubricator? Wasn't Westbrook constantly an agitator, not a lubricator? There's multiple videos on YouTube, Westbrook fighting with fans, often kids, sparring with media. At the height of his power, he said, my best friend's a basketball. I don't care what fans think. Now he's no longer in power. The tables have turned and he doesn't like it. I can have sympathy for somebody when fans start name calling in arenas. I've never been a fan of that. But when Westbrook had the leverage and power, how did he treat fans? How did he treat the media? He wasn't very apologetic then. So don't expect the media to be apologetic now. College basketball championship season is approaching and there's no better place to get in on the action than the FanDuel Sportsbook. It's where I bet. New customers place their first college basketball bet risk-free up to 1000 bucks. Bet college basketball any way you like. I like the same game parlays. You can also jump into action with live betting. Same game parlays are great. Bet a little, five, 10 bucks, win a lot. Or bet with big promotions like odds boosts. Those are fun. When you win, FanDuel is going to pay you little as two hours. Download the FanDuel Sportsbook app today. Sign up. Promo code Colin to get your first bet risk-free up to 1000 bucks. That's promo code Colin. That's me. Make the college basketball championships mean more on FanDuel Sportsbook. 21 plus and present in Arizona, Colorado, Connecticut, Indiana, and Louisiana. Permitted parishes only. Michigan, New Jersey, New York, Tennessee, Virginia, or West Virginia. First online real money wager only. Refund issued as non-withdrawable site credit that expires in 14 days. Restrictions apply. See terms at sportsbook.fanduel.com. Gambling problem? 1-800-NEXT-STEP or text Next Step to 533-42-ARIZONA, 1-888-789-7777 or visit ccpg.org slash chat. Connecticut, 1-800-GAMBLER or visit fanduel.com slash RG in Colorado, Indiana, Jersey, and Virginia, 1-877-770-STOP in Louisiana, 1-800-270-717 for confidential help in Michigan, 1-877-HOP P-E-N-Y or text H-O-P-E-N-Y 467-369 in New York, Tennessee. Redline 1-800-889-9789 Tennessee. Visit 1-800-GAMBLER.net in West Virginia. Attention all wrestling aficionados. Wrestling with Freddie makes its triumphant return for an electrifying fourth season. This is Freddie Prince Jr. and I am beyond thrilled to announce that our wrestling extravaganza is back and joining me once again is the one and only Jeff Dye. Get ready as we highlight the most jaw-dropping matches, dissect the fiercest feuds, and uncover the latest twists and turns in the world of pro wrestling. We're dusting off our legendary side quests and unleashing a barrage of brand new segments that will keep you guys on the edge of your seat like our talks on unsanctioned Thursdays. Freddie, you know we gotta give the people what they want. This season, we have an all-star lineup of special guests who are gonna be gracing our podcast, bringing with them their own unique insights, experiences, and all of that in the world of pro wrestling and beyond. Whether you're a seasoned wrestling veteran or a fresh-faced newcomer, we promise an experience like no other. So buckle up, wrestling fans. Listen to Wrestling with Freddie as part of the My Cultura Podcast Network, available on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. If you love sports and true crime, then there's a new podcast from executive producer Dan Patrick and hosted by me, Jay Harris, that you won't want to miss. Playing Dirty, Sports Scandals. Each week, I'm squeezing the juiciest details from some of the biggest sports scandals ever. I'm talking Marcus Dixon, Olympic gymnastics, 
Cain Velasquez, salacious Super Bowl-level scandals. Join me on the dark side of sports by listening to Playing Dirty Sports Scandals on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. I'm Hannah Storm, and my podcast, NBA DNA with Hannah Storm, digs deep into the history of professional basketball, along with my own as one of the first female sportscasters. Now let's get you up to speed on what else happened around the NBA today. We talked to all sorts of people I interacted with, from Dr. J to Charles Barkley, and recap iconic moments. Yes, he's got it. Here he comes. Ray rocked the baby to sleep and slammed up. As well as some of the wild stories behind the scenes. We were like, what? What are we in for? The scoreboard crashes before we even tip a game off. Today, the NBA is a global sports and entertainment giant. Players are multimillionaires and cultural icons. Iguodala to Curry, back to Iguodala, up for the layup. Oh, blocked by James. LeBron James. And these stories are about how we got here, both on and off the court. And what's next? Listen to NBA DNA with Hannah Storr on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Imagine you ask two people the same exact set of seven questions. I'm Minnie Driver, and this was the idea I set out to explore in my podcast, Mini Questions. This year, we bring a whole new group of guests to answer the same seven questions, including actress and star of the mega hit sitcom Friends, Courtney Cox. You can't go around it, so you just go through it. This is a roadblock. It's going to catch you down the road. Go through it. Deal with it. Comedian, writer, and star of the series Catastrophe, Rob Delaney. I shouldn't feel guilty about my son's death. He died of a brain tumor. It's part of what happens when your kid dies. Intellectually, you'll understand that it's not your fault, but you'll still feel guilty. Alt-rock icon, Liz Fair. That personal disaster wrote Guyville. So everything comes out of a dead end. And many, many more. Join me on season three of Mini Questions on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your favorite podcasts. Seven questions, limitless answers. Let's bring in, and it's rather timely, 14-year NFL vet Greg Olson. Three Pro Bowls, Seahawks, Panthers, Bears, Fox Sports. Um, Great pickup for us. So you know Russ. I know Russ. I talked to him for about 15 minutes, he and his wife, at the Super Bowl. I talked to his agent, Mark Rogers, at the Super Bowl. Um, They clearly were not happy in Seattle. You talked to Russ in the last 24 hours. He has a no-trade clause, Greg. Almost nobody in the National Football League does. There's seven players. He's one of them. My guess is this is exactly where he wanted to go. Yeah, this, this story doesn't come out unless Russ has waived that clause. This this story doesn't come out. This trade isn't pursued without his blessing. And I think that's always been the arrangement that he had with the team. I don't think I think those stories of him going in with an ultimatum like I want to be traded. I don't necessarily think that was true especially last year. I think there was always an understanding that the team if the opportunities were ever presented and they were contacted by an organization or franchise that piqued their interest. It was it was out of the NFC, obviously not within the division. It was all those people saying, oh, San Francisco. No one's obviously trading anyone like his caliber within the division, let alone in the conference. But I think when an AFC team like Denver called, I think weeks ago, they go to his agent and they say, hey, would Russ entertain this? And I don't think they go through the exercise of what an NF, you know, what an, a trade would be like in this sense of 
you know, the back and forth and negotiation without his blessing and without him being a part of it. So I think weeks ago, they reached out to him and said, hey, we have this on the table. Can we, we're not saying we'll do it, but can we continue to go through the exercise of exploring it? I'm sure his team said yes. And when the two sides came to an agreement that both that both the teams wanted, they finally had to go to Russ and say, hey, we need your final blessing to announce this, to authorize it, put pen to paper. And I think Denver was always one of those teams that intrigued him, right? He wants to go somewhere with a good team, a good roster, good offensive weapons, good on defense, just hired an offensive head coach this last hiring cycle with Hackett. So I think it checked a lot of the boxes that he's looking for. He's not looking to go to a rebuild. He's not looking to go somewhere where he's got to start from scratch. And I think they check all those boxes. Before Brady went to Tampa, we said really good defense, young in the secondary, excellent weapons, average O-line. The Denver Broncos, really good and young in the secondary, solid defense, great weapons, pretty okay on the offensive line. I really do believe this feels like Brady to Tampa. This team just needs a quarterback. I, I, am I, am I, I mean, you did the Cowboy Bronco game. Denver beat them down physically for three and a half hours. You've seen this team live. You've been in production meetings. I don't think I'm overstating it. I think Denver just needed a catalyst. Yeah, I don't think you're wrong at all. I think there's a ton of similarities between that. I think the key difference maybe with this situation versus Brady's in Tampa is just that division's a lot stronger. I think the, the division Brady's competed in the last two years versus now what Russell's going to have to deal with out there in the AFC West with, with you know with the Chargers and, and I mean that's a brutal division, top tier quarterbacks across the board. I think that might make a little change, but as far as young and dynamic on offense, guys to throw the ball to, good on defense. Obviously, you know they lost Von Miller. They don't have a ton of pass rush. You know that was always kind of a little bit of a sticking point. Vic Fangio had that defense playing at an all time level that week we saw him play against Dallas that, you know, there's a lot of talk coming out of that game, you know, did that defense and I know Fangio is not there anymore, but did that defense crack the code of Kellen Moore and that Cowboys offense? And people said, no, it was just one bad day. I mean, they blew the brakes off Dallas in Dallas. As you said, we called that game and we kind of saw teams steal a little bit of that design. Now, of course it's a different staff, different coaches, but the same guys, that defense has young talent. They're very good on the back end, as you just stated, I think it's a very legitimate comparison you're making. My only caveat would be playing in that division those six games a year. That's a that's a tough sled. So I talked to two NFL general managers today. I said, the, I think Seattle, where they did a good job is not just to get picks, where they've often struggled drafting the last six or seven years. They got some players. And people go, oh, Noah Fant. Both executives I talked to said, tough matchup can drop a lot of footballs. Denver's got good pieces at tight end behind him. They're okay. Your thought as a former, you know, you're going to get a lot of Hall of Fame votes at tight end. I like Fant. I don't think the offense is going to now, the, the backup kid they have from Missouri is like Fant, a very vertical, almost basketball-ish tight end. Your thoughts? Yeah, I think you're spot on. I mean, when, we, when we called the game and we were going through the production meetings, you know, we kept asking the staff, you know, the offensive coaches said, you know, what about Noah Fan? Can we get him going? And, and they were complimentary, but there's a difference when a staff is like complimentary and kind of going, hey, he's a guy we like, you know, versus saying he's a guy we're going to build around. This is a guy we need to feature. This is a guy. So you can kind of read through the tea leaves a little bit. You can get a good vibe. I think they like Noah Fan. I think if he was still on their team, 
they'd be happy. They'd find a way to use them. But if when Seattle says, hey, you know what? I don't know this was part, but you got to assume a part of the conversation was trying to get some pieces on offense. Tight end's been one. They're going to lose Everett to free agency. Maybe they felt like that was a piece that they could kind of leverage that negotiation if they want to bring Gerald Everett back, who just signed a one-year deal last year from the Rams. Maybe that was part of the equation if it keeps his price down and doesn't let him. So I think there's a lot behind it, but I don't think Denver for one minute said, oh, we can't get rid of no fan if, you know, to get Russell Wilson. I don't think that was even in the conversation. They got Drew Locke out, you know, they got Locke out of there, not even a hesitation. So as far as Right. To me, that pick is about the draft picks. I think the few players that they got in return didn't really move the needle very much, really, for either team. That's what both GMs told me, that the, the draft picks will be key. Um, the timing's interesting because it's not a great quarterback draft. Seattle now has the nine pick. They could go get Malik Willis or Kenny Pickett. Pickett's not, to me, a dynamic playmaker, nor does he have a dynamic arm. Willis is I talked to another general manager today. They're like, listen, Willis is really strong with a power arm. He is not ready to play, but there's a lot there. Maybe Seattle, you know, run. It's hard to go from Russell Wilson to Drew Locke. The drop-off is too substantial. The GM and the coach will get crushed. But I, I do want to address this. You were in that locker room. I'm from the Pacific Northwest. I've been highly critical of Seattle's schemes. Um, I think it's antiquated. I think they run the ball too much with a bunch of B backs and an average offensive line. And I think it frustrated Russell Wilson to have to be the playmaker with a little bit of an antiquated offense. It always fell on his shoulders to make a play. And I look around this league and I look at, you know, I look at Matt Stafford with the Rams and he had better weapons. He had a better offensive line. You know, a guy wants to be the man. He doesn't want to be the only man. You were in that locker room. Is it fair to say Seattle offensively was a little behind the calendar, was a little behind the times? Yeah, and I don't even, for my time there, I don't necessarily think it was a personnel issue at all. I think we had a lot of good players. Dwayne Brown was a good player. Um, we brought in Brandon Shell, who was, I think, underrated as a right tackle. He came in in the same draft, same kind of free agent class with, with me from the Jets. I thought he was a, I thought he was a good, solid right tackle. They had some young guys inside. They drafted the young kid played left guard a couple of years ago, um, D. Lou, but off, you know, weapons wise, Chris Carson's a stud. I know he dealt with some injuries this year, but that dude is a, he is as impressive a dude as I've ever played with, you know, obviously DK and Tyler Lockett. That's a real combo. I never thought they had a personnel issue for my time there. I just felt like there was an ideological disconnect between what do our best players do? Russell, DK, Tyler, what are we built to do offensively and what are we being allowed to do offensively? I mean, it, the conversations that I would have with the coaches as we talked about scheme and philosophy. And again, I was there a short time and the amount of pushback and the amount of questions that I would get in return saying, you know, we're not sure if we can do this. I'm not sure if we can protect this, this. And I'm sitting there saying, I've, I've seen this happen for over a decade in Carolina you guys have DK and you have Tyler and you have a good a franchise left tackle and you have Russell Wilson, who's at quarterback, both mentally and physically can handle anything. And I'd sit there scratching my head. It was like we were playing with a JV roster. It was like we were playing with a rookie undrafted quarterback. Like it was very interesting to me. I just think the ideology there was always defense first, kicking game, punt the ball, field position, force turnovers, defensive led. And then they'd hand the ball to Russ at the end of the game and say, go be go be magic. And I just always thought it was a very interesting disconnect that I never to this day have been able to wrap my head around. I just think 
it was part of Russell's frustration. I think it's why Russ said, I want to go somewhere where this is going to be an offensive quarterback driven team, not just in the media, not just as the face of the franchise, but every Sunday with the ball in my hand, like Aaron Rodgers, like the stars, Brady, that team was going to go how they went. And I think Russell wants a taste of that. I'm assuming that's why Denver's going out and making this pick. They're going to hand the ball to him and say, Hey, let's build this system around what you're comfortable with. Let's do what you're comfortable with. Lead us. Be that guy we feel like we've been missing ever since uh, Peyton Manning retired. And I'll tell you what, they swung for the fences. I don't think it was a terrible trade. I don't think they gave up too much to get him, I don't, to get a guy like that. I don't think they leveraged the farm. And I don't think it could be a better match for both teams. You had probably multiple high school quarterbacks, multiple college quarterbacks, and multiple NFL quarterbacks. Russell is statistically and winning-wise the best you've ever played with. What was the secret sauce? How many practices, how many meetings with Russell, Greg, before you went, okay, this is, this is a little different. This is a little more intense. One. And I'll, and I'll tell you, it's a funny story. So we were on like the brink of COVID. It was just starting to be a thing. It was March of 2020. I had just signed maybe a few weeks earlier, end of February, middle end of February. I signed with, with Seattle. COVID was like just starting on the radar. We had driven down to Florida for spring break. So this was like the second week of March. My kids were off of school and I'm down there and he texts me. He's like, hey, well, let's connect sometime this week and start going over the playbook. They had sent me like an iPad with all the stuff. And I was like, great, let me know when. I just thought the two of us were going to jump on a call, you know, talk about formations, talk about different routes and just kind of as a get to know each other kind of conversation. Well, little did I know, I went up to my hotel room and he had an entire his Zoom set up in his office with a whiteboard. He had half the screen with the playbook, like sharing his screen, half the board where he could write on it, talking through. Then he stepped back and he was taking me through two minute signals in his office like it was in the middle of the huddle. And I came down after it was probably a good hour, hour and a half. Right. So my wife's at the pool with the kids at spring break and I come down. She's like, how was it? And I said, I've played with a lot of really good guys, a lot of really talented guys who did it right. I'm not sure if I've ever been around what I just experienced. Like it was a really, really, this is March, Colin. This is March. It wasn't even, we were a month away from OTAs, two months away from OTAs, let alone the season. It didn't matter if it was March on a Zoom call during spring break or the day before the Sunday game, we played the Rams to end the season in the playoffs. Every single day, he was the exact same way. And I think that's the greatest compliment that I could pay him. The talent, the arm, the running, like that's easy. Everybody, everybody can just see that with their own eyes. The greatest compliment I can give him was it didn't matter the significance of that individual session. He never let it alter his approach. And, and I think that's like the best way I could sum him up. You know, I'll, I'll, let me pivot to... Green Bay. Um, I'm not surprised Aaron stayed there. It's a bad division right now. I mean, three teams arguably are rebuilding. I mean, Detroit and Chicago are. Minnesota may not be rebuilding, but they've regressed. Um, they got a new staff. It usually takes year two for a new staff. So I could I can absolutely say Aaron's gonna win the division. That's probably the safest bet for if you bet if you bet football, it's probably the safest future bet in the league. Green Bay is gonna make the playoffs and get a home field. The NFC now that Brady and Breeze are gone has been diluted. It's not as strong. Um, but, but here's my takeaway. The two problems that I think have frustrated Aaron Rodgers remain. They have no owner 
and it's not a viable free agent market. Those haven't changed. Are you surprised that he decided to sign up to end his career probably with those two sticking points who he he has acknowledged, at least passively aggressively, things frustrate him? Yeah, you know, I'm not. I, I think when the news came out today, I was joking with a couple of buddies on a text chain. I'm like, I think that the mystery of the last two years and the contemplating, could I see him have walking away? Could I see him going? Yeah, I don't think I would have been completely floored. But then when the contract terms, whether they're accurate or not, I know that's been debated. When they came out, I just think when you look at the situation he has there, the legacy he has there, the impact, the connection to that community, the grass is not always greener, right? Just the thought of going elsewhere, that place is set up to win. There's a few things, I'll back up. There's a few things that every franchise quarterback wants. They want an offensive-driven head coach. They want a system that plays to their strengths. And they want to be surrounded by great players, especially offensively. And when you look at Green Bay, they check every single one of those boxes. I mean, we had we had the Packers a lot this year. And when we meet with LaFleur, you know, here's a guy that came with a very significant offensive background, success, you know, had his way of doing things. He was very clear that in the beginning of that marriage, when they were both trying to feel each other out, LaFleur and, and, and Aaron, he conceded a lot of things. He, he allowed Aaron to run things, especially in the passing game. When you talk to Aaron, a lot of the concessions he made was in some pass protection schemes, run game that really opened Aaron's eyes. But passing wise, LaFleur made a lot of concessions to keep Aaron comfortable, to keep him engaged, to do things that were very familiar to him. So when you start going down that list, and then you look elsewhere, strength of the conference, strength of the division, offensive-minded head coach, talented players, bringing Devontae Adams back on a franchise, franchise left tackle, two top-tier running backs, a couple young offensive linemen in the interior. I don't know where you're going to get that, right? When you start going down the list, it's very hard to find a comp that you could plug and play Aaron Rodgers in. Maybe Tampa, right? Could Aaron go down to Tampa and be and just fill in for Brady? Yeah, I, I think that's probably the most realistic comparison to his situation in Green Bay. But no, to answer your question, I, I'm not surprised. I think he's got a lot of ball left in him. I think he's not happy how this season ended. They underachieved. I, I had them as my NFC favorite. I, I was shocked that they they got beat as early as they did. And uh, no, I think he has a competitive spirit to him that, he, that that was not how he wanted this thing to end. In the NBA, it's always been a player's league. And we understand that there's only five starters. One or two players can have a tremendous impact on the outcome of games. In the NFL, the shield for most of my life was where the power was. It was in the league. But the owners, to keep their quarterbacks healthy, their top assets, have made the rules very protective of quarterbacks and wide receivers, very pro-offense. Every NFC team that made the playoffs had an offensive coach. The best quarterback won every division last year. That's never happened in my life. And as I watch Kyler Murray, Russell Wilson, Aaron Rodgers have a lot of leverage. Arizona's trapped. They have to sign him. They were a three-win team. Last year, they're 11-win team, right? Three before him. And not that the NFL is becoming the NBA, but the owners wanted more scoring. They wanted to protect their quarterbacks. And now... <laughs> these quarterbacks, let's face it, they are NBA stars. I mean, that's that's my takeaway is in my life, I've never felt players in the NFL, even stars, have a ton of leverage. We have watched three quarterbacks in the last week say, nah, no, no, no. Yeah, I'm not fly. happy. Yeah. 
<laughs> it's very I mean, true. Are you noticing this? Absolutely. And I'll tell you, I know this is going to sound like an interesting connection point, but I don't think it's a mystery that is this analytics. And I know analytics in football is kind of a taboo word right now. People are conflicted. They think about Staley and the fourth down tries and the fourth, you know, the conversions and the going for two. But when you look at what the raw data says, forget the application on the field. When you look at what the raw data says now for years that they've been tracking this, we've always known this is a quarterback driven league. We've always known this is a passing driven league. You know, EPA, the ability to score points, the days of ground and pound and maintaining time of possession and all that is gone. The, st- the data doesn't support that ideology anymore. Now, some teams still adopt to it and te- they play to their strengths and, and you can win. But at the end of the day, the data is very clear. And I don't think it's a mystery now why teams are even saying we can't survive without a top tier quarterback. We, you, you can't. And I think we always knew it. But then you had all of a sudden the Baltimore Ravens of the world winning a Super Bowl years back. And, you know, we had the Tampa Bay Buccaneers. You, know, oh, you can win with defense. You don't need a Hall of Fame quarterback. And people are like, eh, take a look over the last decade. You know, yeah, Nick Foles won one. There's a few exceptions that are. But traditionally speaking, when you look at the teams that are in the hunt every year, if you have a top tier quarterback, you got a shot. And if you don't, you don't really have a shot in today's modern NFL. It's a passing league. It's a quarterback driven league. And I'm not surprised to see quarterbacks now over time continue to consolidate that power that you're referencing. You know, I think it changed over the last seven to eight years. And it's you're a perfect person to talk about this for most of my life because of the rules and the ability to headhunt and hit, the middle of the field was owned by defense. Over the last, most of your career, eight to 10 years, the rules have changed. The middle of the field is now the offenses. When I, you can go 15 years ago, Greg, there used to be a term used in every broadcast, alligator arms. Like receivers had no, maybe every team had a Michael Irvin, like, like an elite big receiver. The other guys, get me out in the flat, get me up the sideline. I'm not going over the middle and have Cecil Espy or John Lynch, yeah. right? Yeah, they're trying to like, kill you. The league now, the offense owns the middle of the field. And I. so what, what does that mean? It means quarterbacks now don't have to depend on go routes, sideline routes, just to hit big plays. I think it's virtually impossible to – I mean, Joe Burrow had a bad O-line. They were – I mean, it's almost unheard of. A bad old line. And they went into the fourth quarter with a chance to win the Super Bowl. And I think you live through it. When you give a quarterback not only the sidelines, but the middle of the field, you're you're sitting up there in the booth. You're watching these quarterbacks dissect good defenses. Yeah, I mean, and and you know, and again, the observation, right? The the just seeing it with your own eye and just making your own perspective. And then when you just look at the production these guys are are, are being able to have, both passing yards, receiving yards. Look what tight ends are doing. When I first came in the league, if you had five, 600 yards, you were a top 10 production. You were in the top 10. You know, you had the Wittens and the Gonzaleses and the Gates that were like a thousand. And then there was a bunch of guys in that six to 800 range. Now, if you don't crack a thousand yards, no one even really stops to think about you. And that's just tight end. Now extrapolate that over the production in the passing game that wide receivers have always had, but that's elevated. Now you're looking at what these guys can do in the backfield. The running backs, in essence, get most of their total yards, at least the good ones, 
as an extension of the passing game. The days of just lining up under center, turning around and handing it. Yes, Derrick Henry. There's a few exceptions, but traditionally speaking, with running backs, they don't even talk anymore about hand, you know, rushing attempts. They talk about touches. How many touches can we get Christian McCaffrey? I don't need to turn around and hand it to him in an eight-man box. I could put him in the slot and throw it to him. That's an extension of the run, except now when he gets the ball in his hands, he's got to beat two defenders on the perimeter who weigh about the same. He doesn't have to run through seven of them, four with their hand on the ground that weigh 300 pounds. Right? Just the style of the game is very different. The rules allow that to be the case. Quarterbacks continue to drive the ball forward. They're the ones who continue to give you a chance or not a chance to compete week in and week out. All of those factors thrown together, teams, owners, general managers, and coaches have never been more reliant on the quarterback position than they are today. So it's not a surprise to see, as you mentioned, the Rodgers and the Russells and all these guys. If you're an elite level quarterback, you are a rare commodity right now in the NFL. There is a lot of teams scraping by with middle of the road and below quarterbacks. They can still make a playoff run here and there. But for the most part, if you don't have a truly elite guy, you're going in every year handcuffed. And if you have one, you're really, really desperate to hold on to him. And if you don't have one, you're willing to do what Denver did. And that's really mortgage your future or do what the Rams did and win a Super Bowl by giving away every first round pick. Teams are wising up. The days of being able to draft a guy and hope and pray that he's a great franchise quarterback and takes you to a Super Bowl. Maybe Joe Burrow's that guy. Maybe there's those days are tough. You got to go out and win now because no one's giving your coach five, five, seven years to turn a program around. They're just not. With sports betting taking off, it's important to find the experts you can trust to help you make some money, right? Check out the Favorites Sports Betting Podcast powered by FanDuel, only on the Volume Podcast Network. My buddy Chad Millman, pro better Simon Hunter from the Action Network, twice a week here to help you become a smarter football better. Every Tuesday and Thursday, Chad and Simon break down the strategies of professional sports bettors, the ones they use to find the right games and the right time to bet. Download the favorite sports betting podcast only on the Volume Podcast Network. Attention all wrestling aficionados. Wrestling with Freddie makes its triumphant return for an electrifying fourth season. This is Freddie Prince Jr., and I am beyond thrilled to announce that our wrestling extravaganza is back, and joining me once again is the one and only Jeff Dye. Get ready as we highlight the most jaw-dropping matches, dissect the fiercest feuds, and uncover the latest twists and turns in the world of pro wrestling. We're dusting off our legendary side quests and unleashing a barrage of brand new segments that will keep you guys on the edge of your seat like our talks on unsanctioned Thursdays. Freddie, you know we gotta give the people what they want. This season, we have an all-star lineup of special guests who are gonna be gracing our podcast, bringing with them their own unique insights, experiences, and all of that in the world of pro wrestling and beyond. Whether you're a seasoned wrestling veteran or a fresh-faced newcomer, we promise an experience like no other. So buckle up, wrestling fans. Listen to Wrestling with Freddie as part of the My Cultura Podcast Network, available on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. If you love sports and true crime, then there's a new podcast from executive producer Dan Patrick and hosted by me, Jay Harris, that you won't want to miss. Playing Dirty, Sports Scandals. Each week, I'm squeezing the juiciest details from some of the biggest sports scandals ever. I'm talking Marcus Dixon, Olympic gymnastics, Kane Velasquez, salacious Super Bowl-level scandals. Join me on the dark side of sports by listening to Playing Dirty Sports Scandals on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. 
Hannah Storm, and my podcast, NBA DNA with Hannah Storm, digs deep into the history of professional basketball, along with my own as one of the first female sportscasters. Now let's get you up to speed on what else happened around the NBA today. We talked to all sorts of people I interacted with, from Dr. J to Charles Barkley, and recap iconic moments. Yes, he's got it. Here he comes. Ray rocked the baby to sleep and slam dunk. As well as some of the wild stories behind the scenes. We were like, what? What are we in for? The scoreboard crashes before we even tip a game off. Today, the NBA is a global sports and entertainment giant. Players are multimillionaires and cultural icons. Iguodala to Curry, back to Iguodala, up for the layup. Oh, blocked by James. LeBron James. And these stories are about how we got here, both on and off the court. And what's next? Listen to NBA DNA with Hannah Storm on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Imagine you ask two people the same exact set of seven questions. I'm Minnie Driver, and this was the idea I set out to explore in my podcast, Mini Questions. This year, we bring a whole new group of guests to answer the same seven questions, including actress and star of the mega-hit sitcom Friends, Courtney Cox. You can't go around it, so you just go through it. This is a roadblock. It's going to catch you down the road. Go through it. Deal with it. Comedian, writer, and star of the series Catastrophe, Rob Delaney. I shouldn't feel guilty about my son's death. He died of a brain tumor. It's part of what happens when your kid dies. Intellectually, you'll understand that it's not your fault, but you'll still feel guilty. Alt-rock icon, Liz Fair. That personal disaster wrote Guyville. So everything comes out of a dead end. And many, many more. Join me on season three of Mini Questions on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your favorite podcasts. Seven questions, limitless answers. I remember when you texted me and you were going to choose Buffalo or Seattle. And I said, hey, no state tax, Russell Wilson. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and now, by the way, now look at you. You are flourishing in this broadcasting space. Is it as much, is it harder than you thought or easier? Is it more fun or less fun? How has it been for you as a guy who's really rising quickly in the broadcasting arena? I would say it's it's as fun, if not more than I anticipated. I, I always knew that I would like it. I, I don't know. So it's funny. I never was able, when I called the games, it was a big story. When I called the games as a player, I was never allowed in the production meetings. I was not allowed at the facilities. I was not allowed on the calls with the head coach, the offensive coordinator, the players. I was banned from that. Remember Spielman in Minnesota? I don't know if you remember this story, but years back in 2017, he made a big stink because we were going to play them coming off our bye in Carolina. It's not fair. He's in our building. It was like a weird hoopla <laughs> over nothing. We ended up then beating the Vikings. So their fans hated me at the time because they thought because I called their game three weeks earlier on my bye week that it somehow had an outcome. But anyway, that was a Fox rule. That was a my rule. I didn't feel comfortable being a part of that. This was the first time now calling NFL games that I could be in the production meetings and talk with Matt LaFleur and Aaron Rodgers and pick the brains of these off of Sean McVay and scheme. I, we had a 45 minute conversation with Bill Belichick. And I don't even know if we talked about the upcoming game against, uh, I think at the time they were playing Indianapolis or yeah, I think it was the Indianapolis game. We talked about just coaching philosophy and how he views players and how he views relationships and storytelling. And he told me the story of 
you know, how they almost traded for me back when I was in Chicago. And like, we just had a really cool conversation. Like those are the things I couldn't, I couldn't really prepare for because I'd never done it before. That was probably the highlight of the week. It made the game with, 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 with Burkhart on Sunday so fun and organic and we could tell stories and share perspectives. Like I always knew that part I was going to enjoy, but the week of work and staying connected with the players and staying connected with scheme and trying to stay close to the game. I really enjoyed that part of it. And just speaking to all these coaches who I'd seen from afar and never really had full length conversations with was a treat. And, you know, it's just someone who likes talking ball and being in the mix. That was a really, that was probably the highlight of the experience as far as the prep. And then the Sundays were the fun part. I had a great team. Everybody around me was super cool and just great to work with. And they really cared about their craft. And as you know, if, you, if you're surrounded by great people who care, everything else is really easy. So, yeah, I, I've really enjoyed it. You know, we'll see how things go now. There's a lot of moving pieces. As you know, there's a lot going on and we'll see how the dust settles. But uh, this is something that I think I can do for a long time. And it's something that I've really enjoyed. And it seems like so far, you know, people have enjoyed, you know, my, maybe my little different approach and different perspective. Hey, Fox does the NFL really well. They really do. They really deeply care about it from production. Burkhart, Kevin's probably as good a human being as our, our industry has. He's probably as good a human. He really is great sense of humor. He can host, he can do play by play. He could probably do stand up. He's just really funny and a really cool guy. So you also have a new podcast called Youth Inc., um, which doesn't surprise me. You've always been a giver, not a taker. It's who you are. Uh, I've known you for a long time, and I've known your story and people who have played with you. Tell people what it is and where they can hear it. Yeah, so this has been, you know, we, we joke that we've been working on it for a year, but it's really been my entire life. So I, I grew up, my father was my high school football coach, public school yep. outside of New York City in North Jersey, coached there for over 40 years. That was his life. We grew up fans of his high school captains, you know, the star quarterback, Friday night games under the lights. We were the water boys. I had two brothers. We all went through and played for my dad, and we all went off and played Division I college football. My other two brothers were quarterbacks. I was in the middle. I was the middle child, played tight end. And just now, and then obviously throughout my career of being involved, now I'm a dad, right? I got three kids. My wife and I, I just landed two hours ago. I spent the last five days in Houston, Texas for a 10-year-old baseball tournament with my oldest son. We played seven games in three days, 700 plus teams of all ages from all over the country. Like This is something we've been living now for the last couple of years. And, it's, and the, the genesis of the story of the show was there are times where my wife and I sit around at night and we really go back and forth about, are we handling this the right way? Like there are no rules to, to navigating youth sports for right. anyone raising a young child in today's world, specialization, the mental health component, how far to push, when's not enough. How do you talk to your kid after he strikes out to lose the game? How do you, right? There's all these different components. What, what something as stupid as what's the best, that's the best bat I should buy my kid. Who's just, there's a million questions. And that hasn't always been the case. Decisions never started this young. Decisions usually started when you said, what college am I going to go to? That's, But that's not the case anymore. And I think so many other families from having conversations could relate to these struggles, relate to these conversations. So from just kicking around, I said, guys, there's a show here where we go out and we find these perspectives. We have these conversations with legacy family athletes. We're going to speak with Cooper Manning, who's raising 
you know, one of the top, the last decade, one of the top high school, uh, high school football recruits, his son, Arch, we're going to speak to him. We spoke with Jerry Rice. We have some really, really unique perspectives of people who've lived this and now also live it as a parent. And I just think if we can be that tool and like take people on this really cool journey towards navigating this, they can then make the best decisions that fit their family. There's not a one size fits all. And, you know, we, we were able to partner with a really cool, um, you know, sponsor right out of the gate with Invisalign, who kind of shared a very unique passion for youth sports that we did. So it was a very organic conversation. And, um, you know, a couple of buddies of mine, we started Audiorama, which is kind of the host platform of this show. And here we are. We're going to launch it. Our first two episodes actually drop uh, tomorrow. And uh, we hope people kind of enjoy diving into this space because I think it's a space that a lot of people can relate to. And a lot sure. of people are saying, I, you know what? I have the same question when I lay in bed at night. I'm glad someone else is trying to find the best way to handle it, you know? And that's uh, so far the response has been awesome. Yeah. Greg Olson. Isn't it crazy? Russell Wilson's a Bronco. <laughs> Isn't that wild? What? What? <laughs> I was on a plane coming home from my kid's game and my phone started going crazy. Burkhart actually texted me and he goes, Russ just got traded to Denver. I was sitting in the airport in Houston. I was like, get out of here. Went on Twitter. Of course, everything's breaking simultaneously. I texted. I was like, whoa. Wild, man. What? I mean, what a weekend. Whew. I saw a fight break out before my kid's game. How about that? 10-year-old baseball. <laughs> team from Miami oh, and a team from Houston playing it up. I mean, it was a crazy ending. They balked. Listen to this. So it's 10-year-old baseball, right? They balked the winning run home with like a base running tactic at third base where the 10-year-old kid on the mound sees the kid on third secondary lead in the middle of his, you know, in the middle of his motion, double clutches towards home plate. The entire stands and the coaches yell balk. Everyone goes nuts. The umpire awards him home. They storm the field celebrating. The other storm field people come out of the dugout. The parents got to be separated. I mean, it was wild. And then we have to take the field right after that and play our game. I mean, it's youth sports is wild, man. I'll tell you, it's a wild experience. <laughs> it's not always appropriate, but it's, but it's wild. fun as hell, man. I'll tell you what, to see your kid out there battling and man, there's nothing better. By the way, I bet you would be more nervous watching your kid in the bottom of the ninth than you would be with two minutes left in a Super Bowl. Oh, it's not even close. I so so Monday, so that you play three pool play games to make the goal, you know, the top championship bracket. So there was 45 teams in the 10-year-old division from all over the Cal from all over California, Texas, Florida. We're from North Carolina, everywhere. We made the top 16. We were the number two seed. We won the first game Sunday night. So now you go to Monday morning and you got to win to stay in it. So that you got to win, you go to the final four, you got to win. You got to win three games on Monday. So game one, Monday. So the elite eight, for lack of a better term, we're playing a team out of California. And he starts. I'm standing out like in foul territory, but kind of in left field, just kind of pacing back and forth. Colin, I never felt like that in the middle of a game. It could have been third and six and they call the play in the huddle. I'm like, I know he's throwing me the ball and I'm going to catch it. And I'm not even stressed about it. I'm watching him with a runner on second and two outs and full count. And I'm just, come on, man, throw a strike. Throw a strike. It, it's the most nerve-wracking thing watching your kid compete and perform and struggle and strike out. And I mean, it's a wild ride, especially baseball. And uh, but I'll tell you what, man, there's something magical about it. Oh, there's no question. I remember my daughter one time. She was a decent basketball player, had a very good youth coach, Ed Connor. We weren't the most talented team. We were the best coached. 
we we must have scored about twelve points a game on inbound plays. Absolutely, we weren't we weren't very big, and so we were playing this team named Southington. My daughter was the center, and she was like a five eight, and they had a six foot tall girl. And I remember my daughter being really nervous. They were the biggest girls team around, and I said, you know, Olivia, um, it's funny what fear does. You can shrink, or it kind of catapults you. She was 12 of 14 from the field, six of six free throws, best game she ever played. And I can remember sitting in a Subway sandwiches after and saying, Olivia, I've never felt like that in my life. I was hovering in the stands. There's nothing better. And she said, Dad, I've never felt like that as a player. I don't even know what happened. She goes, did I miss a shot? I I can relate to it, man. Watching your kid play is better than any accomplishment, any moment you've had individually. There's nothing better than seeing your kid care about something, work towards something, overcome a bad game, overcome a bad, whatever it is, and then go out there and perform when they need, help their team. There, there's, I'll tell you, youth sports can be as frustrating and as aggravating as you can imagine. But I'll tell you what, when it's good, it's good and it's fun and it's special. And we're hoping to capture a little of those both sides, you know, capture both ends of that spectrum and present presented to our viewer and allow them to make up their minds on their own. Great seeing you, buddy. You too, and it's always a blast. The Volume. It's Freddie Prinze Jr. and Jeff Dye back in the ring. Wrestling with Freddie makes its triumphant return for an electrifying fourth season. Hey, Jeff, are you ready to rumble our way into an all-new season of Wrestling with Freddie? You better believe I have. I've been practicing my body slams, and I'm jacked. All right, don't go injuring yourself now. We'll be highlighting the best stories and matches of the week in wrestling from AEW, WWE, and have one-on-one talks with the best talents in the world of pro wrestling. Listen to Wrestling with Freddie on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. The Big Take from Bloomberg News brings you what's shaping the world's economies with the smartest and best-informed business reporters around the world. We cover the stories behind what's moving money and markets and help you understand what's happening, what it means, and why it matters every afternoon. I'm Sarah Holder. I'm Saleya Mosin. And I'm David Gura. Listen to The Big Take on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Imagine you ask two people the same seven questions. I'm Mini Driver, and this was the idea I set out to explore in my podcast, Mini Questions. This year, we bring a whole new group of guests to answer the same seven questions, including Courtney Cox, Rob Delaney, Liz Fair, and many, many more. Join me on season three of Mini Questions on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your favorite podcasts. Seven questions, limitless answers. I'm Saleya Mosin, and I've covered economic policy for years and reported on how it impacts people across the United States. In 2016, I saw how voters were leaning towards Trump and how so many Americans felt misunderstood by Washington. So I started The Big Take D.C., We dig into how money, politics, and power shape government and the consequences for voters. With new episodes every Thursday, you can listen to The Big Take DC on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts.